0: Dear Father, we thank you again for an opportunity to share the truth of your word. I pray that you will help me as I proclaim your truth. I pray for this body of believers that they too will be open to hear what you have for them to hear today, that we would grow, that your word would penetrate our hearts and we would be different. May you be glorified. May we see you afresh today. May we be more like your son. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. You never know what kind of a person you are until you face a crisis. It is widely believed that a ship captain in the event of a disaster must go down with his ship or at least he is expected to be the last one to step off its decks. But Captain Yannis of master of the cruise ship Oceanus broke this custom by fleeing his sinking ship while hundreds of passengers remained on board. The Greek cruise ship Oceanus had sailed from East London to Durban, South Africa, with 571 passengers and crew members. On August 3rd, 1991, the ship began taking on water in the storm after an explosion damaged the hull. The ship drifted in 80 knot winds, which is 82 miles per hour winds, and 30-foot sail um, swells. After the boat began to take on water, it list, and eventually sunk. Miraculously, all 571 souls aboard the Oceanus survived, thanks to the South African Air Force helicopter crew, who repeatedly hoisted more than 170. Passengers from its deck. The South African Navy and private vessels rescued four hundred more of the um, passengers. And where was the captain? Captain Aranus abandoned his ship in the first available helicopter, stepping ahead of an elderly um, passenger and demanding to be hoisted out. But unlike the hero, but an unlikely hero saved the day. Robin Boltman, a, music, a, a musician. At first, he used music and comedy to keep his to keep up the morale. Boltman and his fellow entertainers later guided the passengers to the slope of the sloping ship to the deck when it was their turn to be hoisted by the helicopter. When Boltman saw that the string of lights interfered with the helicopter's access to the ship, he climbed up to the, and cut the lights away. The mu- um, magician, not the captain, coordinated the operation. Boltman was the last to leave the Oceana. When questioning the captain, he became defensive. When I order an abandoned ship, it doesn't matter what time I leave, he said. Abandoned ship is for everybody. If if some people like to stay, they can stay. However, a maritime historian disagreed, saying it is very, very unusual for the captain to leave the vessel in a moment of a crisis. He has to set the example of courage and moral standard. The caliber of a man, a person, is best seen when life presents a problem. Whether that man is a captain of a cruise ship or a cupbearer to the king. Each man held an, an important position. One man ran away as the other man ran towards the problem. My proposition is this. Believers must respond rightly in the face of a trial. Nehemiah was a trustworthy servant, even in enemy territory. In verse 11 of chapter 1, we hear that Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. A cupbearer was trusted to guard against poison in the king's cup and was sometime required to swallow some of the wine before serving it to him. A cupbearer was also known to supervise the king's food, and sometimes he was over the entire kitchen. He confidently, his confidential relationship with the king often gave him a position of great influence. The position of the cupbearer was greatly valued and given only to a select few. It was the cupbearer's job to fill the, the king's cup and present it to him personally. For this reason, cupbearers were often among the king's most trusted servants. But we see that Nehemiah served faithfully. In the, in, the, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before the king, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had been, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. The king was so familiar with Nehemiah that he immediately read his cupbearer's expression. Nehemiah was usually in good spirits, even though he was in a foreign place and he was a slave, with the task of possibly lethal duty every night. This was not a distant relation, but a close relationship. Although Nehemiah is a slave of the king, there is closeness between them because of his role. And when I think of Nehemiah, the passage that comes to mind is Colossians 3, verses 23 and 24. As Nehemiah is faithful in his position, it reads, Whatever you do, whether um, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance As your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. Nehemiah, although a slave, he was working unto the Lord. So it caused me to think and ask the question, how about myself? How faithful am I at doing what I am called to do? How faithful are we when we are given a job that is something we do not want to do? What if your job does not appeal to have any eternal value whatsoever? Yet you are called to do a task. Are you faithful or will you do just enough to get by? You see, Nehemiah prayed expectantly. Nehemiah said that he was very much afraid. And you might ask, why was he afraid? You see, the king carried with him the power to end Nehemiah's life if he chose to. King Artaxerxes is the son of King Azuherus, the king who dismissed his wife, Vasti, because she would not dance before his guests to show off her great beauty. He then found another wife by the name of Esther, which made, king, which made Esther King Artaxerxes his stepmother. Do you remember how she was afraid to come before the king without being called? As Mordecai says, you must do something. And she says, I'm afraid. But what does she say? In Esther 4, verse 11, All the king's servants and the people of the king's providence knows that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law to be put to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. But as for me, she says, I have not been called to come to the king these 30 days. You see, although Nehemiah was already serving before the king, he understood if the king did not like what he had to say, his life would be over. As the king comes, as the king's cupbearer, it. I wonder how many individuals Nehemiah had seen escorted from the king's presence to be put to death because what the king heard displeased him. Nehemiah understood that although he was close to the king and they mutually trusted each other, he. Was still a slave. The king said to me, "Why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sickness or sadness of the heart." See, at that moment, Nehemiah's face was faced with the choice: Does he say what has been on his heart, or does he remain quiet? and not reveal what has been troubling him. And you know how we sometimes do, Well, oh, I'm sorry, I just got an upset stomach. Something is bothering us, but rather than say what's truly on our hearts, we will make an excuse. I'm just not feeling well. Oh, I didn't get enough sleep today. You see, if Nehemiah shares his heart and things go badly, he has a lot to lose. After all, it is the king who provides everything for him, clothing, food, and a comfortable life. Nehemiah could say, why risk my comfort, my position, just because something is on my heart? The risk is just too great. So let me ask you, what would you do? For many of us, our comfort and safety is extremely important. The possibility of being without is too much of a risk for many of us. But it is in these seasons you begin to understand what is most important to you what you worship. It was 2007. My family sold our convalescent home that had been in operation since 1963. We began a new business in 2007 with the idea of purchasing homes and flipping these homes and allowing those who could not purchase a home to get into a home with creative financing. The housing bubble burst in 2008, leaving us with multiple homes we could not sell. After finishing the remodeling project we started, it was out, I was out of work for a couple of years. I filled out hundreds of applications. When I did get an interview, there were at least 100 or more people trying to get a job as well. My wife would ask me, and ask me often, almost daily, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I said, I don't know. But what I can do is pray. I did what I was supposed to do, and I could do no more. I filled out the applications, I went to the interviews, but all I could do is pray. You see, we do not know what God will do, nor is he obligated to tell us his plans. But it does no good to pray and then sit on the couch and watch television. It was my responsibility to actively pursue A job. Eventually the Lord um, directed me to return to school and he opened up a door of a job that worked well with my school schedule. But during that season I had gotten to the place that I said if I lose everything and I have my God and I have my girl I'm okay. It is all about him. If he takes everything away from you, could you say, if I lose everything and I have him, I'm okay? So I must ask you, what do you worship? So, what did Nehemiah do? If we go back to chapter 1 and one verse 11, we get an indication of what Nehemiah had chosen to do in his heart. He says, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man." He had already made up in his mind that he would, what he would do. He fasted, he prayed before the Lord, confessing his sins and the sins of his people, but now he must act. But Nehemiah also spoke respectfully. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city the place of my father's graves lies in ruin, and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? You see, it has been four months since Nehemiah heard the news from Hananiah of the condition of Jerusalem. What was Nehemiah doing those four months he was praying, confessing his sins and the sins of his people before the Lord, reminding God of his covenant promise to his people. Nehemiah is standing before the king, not under his own strength or confidence, but in the God who keeps his covenant promises. As Nehemiah answers the king, answers the king, the, the first, he first tells him that he wishes only to good, only good would come to the king. So if I were to ask you, how respectful are you? In the world in which we live today, we are not a very respectful people. We do not always respond in the right way to our supervisors, or even to our families. We we respond with disdain and harshness when our job asks us to do more than what we think we should do. We are not happy when our spouses ask us to help with the kids when when it infringes on our activities. So we yell. And we put our spouses down with our words. We blame others, our, our unhappiness. May it be our spouse, our children, our church family, our parents. Because life is not working out the way we feel it should. Sometimes we may even want ill rather than good to come of them. But do you see that you, me, we are part of the problem? Nehemiah, when he prayed for the condition of Jerusalem, he included himself as part of the problem. He understood they have not done what God has asked them to do. That is why they are in the condition in which they are in. Nehemiah 1, verses 6 and 7 tells us, as Nehemiah prays, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you, even I, and my father's house have sinned. We have acted corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Nehemiah is saying, it is because of our sin against God that Jerusalem is in the condition that it is in. Nehemiah likewise tells the kings his concern for the tombs of the fathers and the gates of his city. You see, Nehemiah feels the hurt and the shame of his people. You see, the tombs of their ancestors were exposed. They were not being revered as they deserved. These are the forefathers of the generation that is now in exile. Their heritage, their spiritual heritage, was given to them by them. Although Israel is in exile, Nehemiah's generation hopes that they too will one day be honored one day and be buried in their homeland. You remember the story of Joseph as he is in Egypt. He wanted his bones to be taken back home after he died to the land that God had promised to Abraham. In Genesis 50, verses 24 and 25, he says, And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. You see, one's burial place was important to the children of Israel as they wanted to be buried in their homeland. Nehemiah also referred to the gates that were burned. You might ask, what is so important about the city gates? You see, the gates of the city were often a focal point for many of the judicial functions of the city, the place people would gather and discuss and to make decisions that would affect the people of the city. Let's look at the story of Ruth in verse four, or chapter four of Ruth. And we'll start with verses one through six. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, "Turn aside, friend, sit down here." And he turned aside. And sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, "Sit down here." So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is sitting, is selling a parcel of the land that belonged to her relatives, uh, Ilamich. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, the Redeemer I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the land of Naomi, you also require, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead of his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Let's look at verse 9 of that same chapter. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belongs to Elimelech and all that belongs to Shilion and Mahon. Then down to verse 11. Then all the people who were at the gates and of the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah. Together build up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrath and be renowned in Bethlehem. Not only did the gates provide a place to take care of judicial proceedings, they provided protection from their enemies. You see, burned gates, burned down gates also painted the picture of a death of a society, the end of a community. Could these be some of the thoughts racing through Nehemiah's mind as he stands before the king with the question still looming in the air? What are you requesting? What does Nehemiah do? He says a quick prayer to the God that he serves. So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will you be gone, and when will you return? Nehemiah responds to the king by pointing to the pointing the king's thoughts to the relationship they have with each each other. It is a relationship of mutual trust. Nehemiah wants to go to rebuild the walls and restore the gates, but he has an important position, a needed position, to protect the king. I thought it was interesting as Esther is his stepmother. And I wonder what kind of influence she may have had on his life. Could she have shared with him the importance of the Jewish people and where he would look favorably on them because of that relationship? Perhaps He he may have even known about Mordecai, as Mordecai saved his father's life. Scripture does not tell us, but I just think it's an interesting thought as this all takes place in a period of time. We don't know. But it is interesting to think about The king asked Nehemiah, how long will you be gone and when will you return? You see, not only did Nehemiah pray, he also had to take some time to think through the process of what it would take to do the job if he was allowed to go. Nehemiah did not say to the king, I will get back to you in a couple of days and I will give you all the details. He had worked through the process in advance. He prepared to give an answer when the king asked him for details. I wonder how proactive we are when it comes to the things that trouble us. The walls of our relationships are in ruin with our children with our spouse, with our friends, our neighbors, with God himself. Nehemiah prayed, but he also began thinking of ways to correct the problem at hand. Nehemiah prayed creatively. So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. Nehemiah's relationship with the the king is seen through his acceptance of letting him go to Judah to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, even though he would be gone for a period of time. You see, the king was not afraid that Nehemiah would not return to his post as the cupbearer. Because see, when we think of slavery, we often think of slavery in the U.S. Because when we had slaves in the U.S., what did they want to do? They wanted to escape. They wanted to run. They wanted to get as far away as possible. But that was not Nehemiah's motivation. It was his people. That's what he was concerned about. Nehemiah asked specifically, and I said to the king, "If it pleases the king, let letters be given to me, to the governors of the providence beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah." And a letter to Asap, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates. ...of the fortresses of the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house I shall occupy. Nehemiah again appeals to his relationship with the king as he asks for letters to be given to the governors for safe passage to Judah. But Nehemiah also knew to rebuild the walls and to replace the gates, he needed building materials he asked for letters that would be given to Asap, the keeper of the king's forests. Lumber was a precious commodity, and the forests were carefully guarded. Nehemiah understood he could not just walk into the forest and start cutting down trees for the gates. But it is the Lord that provided Fully. And the king granted me, granted me what I asked, for the good hand of the Lord was upon me. You see, it was God who moved the heart of the king. It was God who gave Nehemiah favor before the king. It's important for us to understand, even though God is walking before Nehemiah and giving him before favor before the king, it doesn't mean that everyone will feel the same about that particular mission. In fact, you could say there's always someone who will disagree with God in what he is doing and what he desires to put into place as they desire to put an end to it. As Nehemiah gave the letters to the governors, he entered a delicate situation. The governors could perceive this is an encroachment on their control and authority. If handled incorrectly, the officers could be offended, thus risking Nehemiah's life and putting the lives of the people of Jerusalem in jeopardy as well. Again, we see the hand of God as he put on the king's heart to dispatch royal and royal army captains with horsemen to accompany him so this will not take place. Nehemiah assisted his critics wisely. Then I came to the governors and to the providence beyond the river and gave them to the king and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. But when Sanballat and the Horonite and Tobiah, the Ammonite servants, heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to seek the welfare of the Jewish people. It is estimated that Sanballat and Tobiah were the same men who were uh, behind the opposition which stopped the work in Ezra 4, 7 through 23. Sanballat served as the governor of Samaria. He was a Moabite. And Tobiah served in the region east of the Jordan River, Since Nehemiah had the king's permission to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, attack or oppose, the Jews would be seen as opposition to the Persian king. These men were very displeased that someone would come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. I think it's important for you and I to understand there are individuals who are pleased when your life is not going well. That they too like it when your life is in a shambles. When you have discord between you and your wife or you and your children. They would just look at you and say, that's what you deserve. Because they have something against you. And so they are pleased when your life does not go well. But when someone comes to stand beside you and to help you get on your feet, they are not happy because they are more pleased when your life is not going well. So what have we learned about Nehemiah? He was a man who was very troubled over the condition of the Jewish people who lived in Jerusalem. But although he was troubled, he did not let his trouble cripple him. He spent time fasting and praying to God, confessing his sins as well as the sins of his people. He reminded God of the covenant he had made with Moses and asked that God would grant him mercy as he spoke with the king. When the king asked him what was wrong, he did not cower, but he spoke what was on his heart. He then asked the king to send him to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls and to supply lumber for the gates the king gave him letters for safe passage and for lumber and the king also provided protection for his journey my closing thoughts is this when you face difficulties how do you respond do you try to fix it do you try to fix things yourself or do you run away You see, Nehemiah knew he could not rebuild the walls and the gates without the help of his God. Where is God in your evaluation? Where is he? Is prayer your first response or your last choice? After you have failed... To find the solution to your situation. Nehemiah prayed, seeking God's help, before he did anything. He wept for his people. He spent months praying, fasting over the condition of the people in Jerusalem. What keeps you from bringing your troubles before your God? Nehemiah was greatly troubled for his people as he wept, as he fasted, and he prayed on their behalf. We will see, that we will see the Lord's faithfulness, faithfulness in the book of Nehemiah Like Nehemiah, we must respond rightfully in the face of our trials and our difficulties. Today is Father's Day. Men, if I were to ask you, what is the condition of your gates and your walls of your family, your marriage, your children, how would you respond? Are you more concerned with your personal needs and your wants and your safety than the safety of your families? It is easy for us to say, "Ah, yes, I care more for my family than myself. But your schedules will reveal what is most important to you. What occupies your time? What fills your schedules? Now, I know today there is a big game this afternoon, and many of you are excited and will be glued to your televisions, hoping for a certain outcome. But can I tell you something? The game has no eternal value. It is only a game. For some of us, for some of you, it might be more advantageous to spend time with your wife, your kids, because that is eternal. Yes, I know. The warrior craze has hit here even at Gateway. But what is really important? I pray that you work on your walls. That you will see where the gates are burned down. That you will see where the walls need to be corrected, fixed. That is your responsibility, men, fathers. May we see our condition of our families. And may we respond correctly. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your word. We thank you for your kindness. We thank you for salvation that you saw our need and you pursued us. You did not run from us, you did not turn your back on us, but yet you came forward that we would have a relationship through you, through your son. I pray for this body of believers that they too will see the condition of themselves as well as the condition of their families. That they would respond rightly, that they would not turn away but yet they will be diligent to pursue what you have called them pursue. May we stay humble before you. May we understand what you have called us to do. And may we be faithful. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.